Welcome to the Common Sense Connections app audio education series. We encourage you to listen carefully to the success and leadership principles discussed in this audio. They have enabled countless independent business owners just like you to build a successful business and have a full and balanced life. Thank you. I got to first of all show off this tie. I didn't know how to dress and look sharp, but Eddie, where's Eddie? He run, yeah, Eddie picked it out for me and said it, that it was perfect, and he's from Boston, and I'm sure he wouldn't lie to me. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks, everybody. I, I think it's been a fantastic weekend. Last night and today have just gone to just incredibly, incredibly well. I, uh, I've got a talk that I think I'm excited about giving. You know, when you're, when you're, set, when you're free... I have a heart monitor going right here. It better be there, right there. And I'm 75 years old. You end up doing a lot of reflecting on life and living and things like that. And I mean, when, when you're reading lists, I've got three books I'm reading right now. One's called Heaven, another one's The Grave Robbers, and one called Don't Leave Quietly. Right? When that's your reading list, that says a lot, if you will, okay? And all the reading that I've done, okay, uh, by the way, you're being passed out something you're going to need later, okay? Uh, just hang on to it when you get it, okay? Uh, not long ago, all of the reading and studying that I've been doing led me to the conclusion that we as human beings are way beyond miracles, I want you to think about the impossibility that we even exist, just for a minute, okay? Both atheists and believers agree that a few billion years ago there was no space, no matter, no time. Then either God or nothing caused nothing to explode in a big bang, and in seconds there became everything. Do I need to reread that? Okay? Both atheists and believers agree that a few billion years ago, there was no space, no matter, or time. Then either God or nothing caused nothing to explode in a Big Bang, and in seconds, there was everything. Read a Big Bang Theory. I'm not making this up. So here's the point. When you read about the genesis of the universe and us, you come to the obvious conclusion that there's less than a 0% chance that we're here. But here we are. That, that miracle that I guess we call us. So what do we do with that miracle? What's the average person do with that miracle when, he's, when he comes into the world? Do we, when we come out of the womb, take on life with a gusto? With a gusto? Is that typical? Or do we lay there next to the birthing thing, birthing person, is that what they're calling it now? And wish we could return to the comfort of the womb. By the way, I assure you that if you're lying next to a birthing thing and it's a man, you're not going to want to return to the womb. Just, okay. Somebody said this earlier, most whimper through life avoiding risk and seeking to just get through it and only, only to safely arrive at death. I hope you came here this weekend, okay, engaged in something that's really, really exciting to you. I hope you're committed 
I love this saying. I don't even where I picked it up. I'll, I use these sayings four or five times that I just claim them as mine, okay? Because I forget where they came from. But somebody said you ought to die young, as late as possible. Isn't that sweet? You ought to die young, as late as possible, okay? If, if you don't have something that is really exciting in your future and that you're really turned on, I hope this weekend will kick you out of your comfort zone. I hope it'll you know, send you flying toward some kind of great adventure, all right? Uh, I've decided tonight, I'm going to, Gary, and I heard a bunch of people talk this same subject, decided, talked about why we tell our story. And, and I tend not to want to tell my story because I've told my story for so darn long, but I've decided tonight that when you tell your story, okay, more lives will be changed than when you teach the, all of the techniques and all of the details of, of life, okay? Remember Joe here, I don't know, a long time ago, Joe, you, you, you sat up there and you said, figured out what it was you wanted. I'm doing that. I'm going to start next week and do it again where you said, take 100 Post-it notes and fill them all out and say, I want to go to Tahiti and I want to have a home like this and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to put my kids through, you know, uh, you know Harvard or whatever it is. Fill out all 100 cards and then rate them and decide what really is important to you. What will bring you alive? What will turn you on, okay? And that's not what the little piece of paper is I sent, passed out to you, okay, is all about, okay? Let me tell, here's where, I, I'll start my story where? Graduating college, okay? I graduated from college, okay? I'm gonna skip through it really real quick, okay? I was drafted twice. I'm the only person I know that was drafted twice. I got drafted, I went in the Navy, to avoid uh, playing military, I got out of the Navy with an honorable discharge, hadn't put enough uh, uh, active duty time, got drafted a second time, okay? All right, I get out, just as soon as I get out of the military, I married Debbie, and wouldn't you know, on our honeymoon, she got pregnant somehow, or got herself pregnant, and all of a sudden we have these instant kids that weren't planned on. I went to work for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, hated every moment of it. When you work for the government, you really don't work. You all know that, all right? You make a lot of money, and any government workers, who'd I insult? Just raise your hand. They won't raise their hand, okay? Do you know, you know, we're talking about, particularly the feminist movement, it's always talking about how great it is to have a profession. This I just heard the other day, and I think it's true, okay? Only 2% of the population have a profession. Everybody else, okay, all they're doing is trading dollars working for money. Only 2%. And guess what? Of the 2% that have a profession, a good many of them can't stand the profession they chose. We talked about that last night. How many dentists love looking in that mouth every day and picking out stuff that doesn't belong there and putting stuff in? Right? And we could go on and on with people that are just, uh, you know, anyway. My 20s, all right, were miserable because in, I had no direction and I, those are, I call those my drifting years. And then all of a sudden at age 29, my brother Sam, okay, who I love dearly, he invited me to go to an open meeting, all right? And 
I went to the open meeting. A guy named Ted Fish was actually doing the open meeting, and I walked in, I took a look at it, and I went up, and I alienated them all by saying something I thought was really positive. I said, that's the greatest-looking pyramid I ever saw. I didn't mean it as a negative. I thought it was a great thing, right? Wonderful-looking pyramid. They all looked pissed off and were agitated with me, okay? But then my, my brother, okay, he, he, he invited me to a major function. That major function back then used to be run, right, Gary, on New Year's Eve. Well, I'm not going to take New Year's Eve and go to a major function. But my lying little brother, Sam, got, you know what he told me? He said, Tyler, all the beer you can drink, free. <laughs> well, okay, maybe we can go to a meeting. True story. About midnight, I realized that they quit selling beer in Maine at midnight. And about 1130, I realized they aren't going to break out the beer. I literally went out and got in my car and drove to a store, filled up the trunk with beer so we could have it later, okay? But something at that event, something snapped inside of me, and I don't know why. I, I think I've narrowed it down to two things. One thing, because I made a decision I was going to do this thing. One thing, my brother Sam was carrying around a wad of money. I assumed he'd made it in, in network marketing. You know what I found out years later? He'd cashed out his check for logging and carried it all in cash to impress his brother. That could have been it, because I remember being excited, thinking, he's got that money, and yet I'm fighting with my wife on her grocery budget, on how much money I'm letting her have each week. All I want is one stinking six-pack of beer, and she's getting all pissy about it. <laughs> right? We're fighting over the one six-pack of beer, and here my brother has his wad of money. Okay, I, I, that might have been it. Well, the other thing, and maybe even more likely, was the fact that I looked at the people that went across stage that were making a, a lot of money in the business, and I said, I'm sharper than they. Now, I, I, I'm not saying I was, but in my arrogance, I was, right? And so I'm sitting there saying, if, they, if those morons can do it, by God, I can do this, okay? So I went out and decided I was going to do it. My first year was a disaster. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, remember, I was a drill sergeant. And as a drill sergeant, I decided the, uh, the name of the business, that business was Amway. I decided to rename the business my way. And literally, at the very first meeting, to show you what I mean when I say I was doing it my way, the very first meeting, a guy named, uh, oh, what was his name? Greg Carpenter came down to do my first meeting. He set up a board and he's a chalkboard board back then, okay, an easel. And I had, I don't know, three or four couples there. And he was get up to talk, and I just get up and said, okay, Greg, you're not needed. I said, these are my people. So the first meeting I ever had, I did, with the success that you would expect <laughs> from somebody doing their first meeting, okay? And so anyway, 12 months later, I'm jumping through that year because it sucked. Twelve years later, at another New Year's meeting, the same function, twelve years later, I was at 1,500 uh, points, okay, which meant I made nothing, really, okay? At 1,500 points, okay, I had a choice. I could quit, or I could get a little bit humble and try to listen and do it the way they, they were talking about. So I started listening to them, and here's the facts. Twenty-four months later, I was making more money at night than I was during the day working. And I'm telling you, when you're making more money at night than you are during the day working, life becomes sweet.
your job becomes fun. You start trolling your boss. You start having fun with your boss because you quite candidly don't care. Right? I did stuff. I, 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 just for example, I did things like uh, they, they, they wanted to take my big sedan away. It was a government-issued sedan that I drove on the, on the job because I was the boss and give me an F-150 Ford pickup. I said, I'm not going to drive that pickup. They said that you have to. We, we got, we, the, the peasants out there, the people, they, they, they got to make you think your, your government workers aren't in big sedans. I said, I'm not driving it. I said, I'll drive my own. They said, we won't pay you for it. I said, I don't care. And I started driving all around the farmer's fields and all over, the, all, all over central Maine. I started driving a, a Fleetwood Brougham Cadillac, my own. Okay? The, uh, they came in one time and did a desk audit. People are scared to death of desk audits. But when you're making more money at night than during the day, you really don't care what they say. I'll never forget. They came back and they said, now we had the number one unit in, in America for product productivity. They came back and they said, Tyler, here's the problem with you. You're, you know, we want people that are management oriented and you're goal oriented. And that doesn't fit the government model. And I said, well, do you want me to clean out my desk? Well, no, we didn't say that. I said, okay. And they left. I even came up with a game plan where we could eliminate the agency in the state of Maine. That goes over well. Huh? When you say all we have to do is do this, this, we're going to take one county at a time and just get, get it done so we could just close down. <laughs> they love that one, okay? But anyway, life became really fun. But the problem was that the job became a nuisance. All of a sudden, I'd get a chance to go speak somewhere. All right, you know, wherever it might have been. Okay, let's say it was in Ireland. And all of a sudden, I couldn't go speak there because I've got a job. And I only had so much time. So I, three days before my 34th birthday, I had three groups secured for, for life. I had a retirement party that was the greatest retirement party ever held. I think, Brian, do we have that on audio somewhere? Where'd Brian go? My retirement, yo, no, just me retired, talking about it, okay? Well, I, I, I get goosebumps listening to it. So at 34 years of age, money is absolutely no longer a factor. I, time and money, as I always say, is the ultimate door. I could live the life I wanted. The very first summer, okay, when the school, kids get out of school, we went over to a pond where we have our cottage now, and we stayed in a, uh, I've showed a lot of you that come in there, I've shown you that, right? Uh, uh, ashes, I've shown you the, pond, the lake and the pond, I mean the, the cottage. Out on the front is this big screened-in area, and I'd sit out there and read books on economics because that, I loved economics. But here, here's what you end up with. You end up uh, getting to the point where you realize that you can't just vegetate. You've got to have something that you do that you absolutely love. Well, what I felt I loved was, I, you know, I sort of always thought I wanted a set of wilderness sporting camps. They had been in the family for a million years, okay? So I call the 30s my outdoor years, all right? It was one great big vacation. We'd build cabins, Gary and I, we'd build cabins, I think, on 12 different lakes and rivers, always remote. If we're building one on a lake, we're the only one there. We'd fly in, literally, like to lower Hudson Pond between the mountains, and we'd land, and we'd pick a place on the lake. We'd be the only place on the lake to build a cabin. We'd dig the chainsaws out, and we'd start 
cutting the logs for the cabin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And I really, I, I, I love that period. We did exotic hunts, okay? Some, like up in the Torn Gap Mountains, darn near the North Pole, up in northern Newfoundland, okay, or, or Labrador, we were up there, picture this, got a gun slung over your shoulder because you're hunting, hunting caribou, a.k.a. reindeer, okay? And, and, and at the same time, we're out there, we're fishing for Arctic char. Arctic char is so thick, they almost knock you over when you're, when you're wading in the water. Or all the hunts that we did out in, in, the, in, in, in Colorado and Idaho, the Rockies, okay? For elk, etc. okay? Buying a float plane. Buying a cottage that's in the lake so you could tie the float plane to your coffee table. Now, any of these things that you think you might want, put on one of those post-it notes. That's the whole idea, okay? Then finally, the, my dream came up for sale. One of the original sets of sporting camps Libby's had back in the 1800s called Munsungan came up for sale. We couldn't believe it came up for sale. I put an offer in on it, okay? or we put an offer in on it. I think Gary was in on it as well, financially. And then all of a sudden what I realized, I, can't, I canceled the night before we had to sign the papers. A lot of things came together, but one of the things I had to realize, there's work involved. I thought it would be fun when I was young to do that kind of work, but all of a sudden I realized I, maybe I didn't want to do any work at all. Now we get to the 40s. We've gone through the 30s, now the 40s. In the 40s we went diamond. When I say we went diamond, diamond, all of a sudden, that's a whole new, new world. We went from making, oh, back then, uh, maybe $300,000 a year to making $900,000, $950,000 a year. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot of money today, but I did a calculation. That brings up right, right around $1.8 million in today's dollars. And oh, it seemed like we had limitless money. Now, we didn't, right? But it seemed that way. I, I became what what the uh, French call the nouveau riche, an obnoxious American, if you will. All right, I'm serious. And I took pleasure in it. I carried a, a wad of $100 bills everywhere I went, had a $20,000 Rolex, okay. Had custom suits made all over the world, whether it was Hong Kong or Harrods in London. Just did obnoxious stuff. Went to an auto show one time, walked in, I said, there's the most beautiful car with the most beautiful girl sitting on the hood I've ever seen in my life. It was a Vandenplaat Jaguar, the last of the 12 cylinders come in this country. And just say, deliver that to my house in an obnoxious way. To live in the most prestigious houses on the coast of, uh, of New England, the Lady Pepperell House, sometime Google it. We had electric, uh, elective surgery on every family member. They all had something they thought they'd like to change. I'm not sure that's worth doing, but we did it. I even bought expensive cowboy boots, even though it just almost destroyed my back to wear them. Just if you're going to be an obnoxious American, you've got to have a cowboy hat, right, and cowboy boots. I did that, okay? Hired employees to do everything that I didn't want to do. Hired two secretaries, a controller to take care of all the dealings with IRS and all that crap. And a guy named Dan, for years and years and years, we had a guy named Dan. Dan did whatever Tyler didn't want to do. Back then, we had a fleet of five or six cars. He washed the cars. He, he, if I needed something built, he built it. Great carpenter. Whatever we needed to done, have done, Dan did. Got to travel around the world, whether it was a trip where we actually went all around the world, okay, or 
take the Orient Express. I could name all the speaking all over the place. Became a hero to my kids when I said they could go to any college in the world they wanted to. And they did. They went to places like Oxford and BU, George Washington, Aix-en-Provence in France, Hillsdale. BU in London, actually, was another place. San Francisco Academy of the Arts. One of the greatest joys I ever had in my life was to travel around the world to the colleges that my kids were going to. Now, I know you're sitting there saying everything you're saying is really, really offensive and obnoxious. Okay? And you even have your phones go off to just sort of agitate the speaker. <laughs> then on midnight, so, uh, midnight, November 9th, 1989, something, a huge event sort of changed our world. That's, that's when the Berlin Wall went down. The Iron Curtain, if you will, evaporated overnight. And all of a sudden, half, uh, half of the world's population went from bond, bondage to freedom in a heartbeat. Boom. Total chaos was created. Now, we were familiar with that because Gary, down under Gary, where is Gary? Okay, somewhere. Oh, over there. Down under Gary, we had a guy, okay, named Pete Novak. Hello, Novak from Croatia. He had come out of Croatia under communism, under machine gun fire, and they killed his family after he left. So we know the severity of what was there. We heard his stories and had him speak to us and our children and all of that. So we knew the impact, how important that was, okay? Our industry jumped in to try to fill the void. I, I, I was privileged to go speak in Ljubljana, Slovenia. The reason I have this ugly tie that Eddie told me to wear, okay, is all of a sudden, uh, when people became free at last like that, they were beyond excited. They, were, they, they, they just couldn't believe, okay, how great things had become overnight. Now, I was speaking over there, and this beautiful young girl, she probably was 23 years of age, she came up there, and she was innocent. I, I love the girl. She was innocent and so optimistic, okay? <clears throat> and what she did is she gave me this tie. This, that was how she was going to become rich. She was going to hand paint ties. It's got America up on the top and some little diamond ships floating across the ocean. And that thing that looked like dog poop on the bottom, that's, the, that's Slovenia. The first time I've ever worn this tie is tonight. But the problem was they had spent two generations in bondage. They weren't equipped. In any way were they equipped for freedom. You say, what were they missing? They were totally in, unable to self-govern. Their work ethic was non-existent. You know why? All those years, under, what do people do under communism or in slavery for that matter? What do they do for work? They work as little as they can to avoid getting beat or whatever, right? The whole idea is to work as little as you can and not get in trouble. They lack the basic disciplines. They lack the family support structure because the, the fathers had been neutered, if you will. The family structure wasn't there. They lacked a sense of risk and reward of the free enterprise system. And most tragically, they lacked faith. Like Japan in 1945 after World War II, okay, 
government had been their provider and their God, and all of a sudden it was gone. In 1945, Douglas MacArthur, if you read your history, what he, he recognized the problem, and he went on, he made Emperor Hirohito do what? He made him admit to his population that he wasn't God, that he was a human being. And then he realized, we've got to fill the void. So he put a call out for missionaries to come from all over America to come to Japan. We were so pissed off at Japan, we didn't send any, or we sent very few. Guess what? Leadership in, in the Russian bloc recognized the same thing. People were worshiping the Communist Party. That was their God. And so they put a call out for people to come uh, bring... Uh, I don't think they cared what religion, bring any kind of faith, okay, to make these people self-governing. Next scene, Gary Libby and a whole bunch of others. Gary is talking about Jesus Christ in schools, in places like what, northern Ossetia, Georgia, all these places in Russia, okay, or behind the wall, if you will, okay. By the way, all totalitarian governments, whether it's the National Socialist Party, a.k.a. Nazism, Communism, Fascism, Democratic Socialism. When you say Democratic Socialism, the fact that you, you voted in, that's like saying Democratic rape of somebody else. I mean, it's still rape of somebody else, okay? Yeah, we voted to have her raped, but she's raped. And uh, anyway, they all gain power by doing the same things. They have to destroy religion, okay? They have to destroy the nuclear family. They have to divide the citizenry into warring factions. Like what did Hitler do? Who was his, who was his evil one? The Jews. Let's kill the Jews, okay? And we could talk about, uh, and what did, they, what did Lenin do? Who was the evil ones? The rich. Here in America, who's the evil ones? White heterosexuals. Okay, right? You have to have an enemy so that you can, you, can, uh, you can unite the sheep. Here's something I read recently. It's so true. You can vote socialism in like they did in Venezuela. But the only way you get rid of socialism is with guns. Just saying, okay? That's a little side note. Now, in the 50s, my 50s and 60s, those were what I, I want to call the get-her-done-while-you-can decades. So when I turned 50, I realized if I was ever going to take up downhill skiing, I better get her done. So what happened, not only did I learn how to ski, okay, we bought and built a beautiful place up on Sugarloaf, right on the ski slope. One of the, it's, oh, it's the best ski resort in New England, and it is pretty incredible and impressive. Okay? At 53, took up motorcycling. I was on a stage just like this, and I made a brag. I said, next summer, I'm going to take... Ride a motorcycle from coast to coast and back. I walked off stage. I stepped down to the stage. I oh, crap. I've never been on a motorcycle. That's a true story. We planned the trip, and in May, we still had snow on the ground, and I didn't have a motorcycle license or a motorcycle, so I went to Dallas, Texas, because in the state of New Hampshire, you have to pass a safety course to get a motorcycle license. I went down there, and on a little Honda 150 in a parking lot, Okay, I got myself a safety thing and came back and got myself a, a, a license to drive it, picked up a, an 860-pound BMW, all right, and headed out for a 48-state, 49-day, 14,000, 18-mile trip. After that, we did 12 
trips since between back then and now, 12 major trips. At 70, I'm still excited about looking for things that are exciting, that I can still do. I just came up with a new one. I became a member of Sig Sauer's, okay, expedition, I mean, what do they call it? Experience Center. Went out and bought myself about $5,000 worth of guns and ammo. I'm good. I have, I, I do. I have a P320 AXG legend, which is the best handgun the world's ever seen. So a burglar come in my house right now? I, I, I'm 75. I'm not going to catch him. I'm not going to chase him down. I probably can't beat him up. But by God, I can reach out and touch him. Okay. <laughs> With a high degree of accuracy. <clears throat> I, I got to tell a side story. I believe men should be men. They should be manly. I don't believe in what they call this toxic masculinity. I believe in masculinity that's under control. I told one of my son-in-laws, okay, make sure this doesn't make it on tape, okay? He doesn't, he does, he, he doesn't want any guns or anything on his property. And I said, let me tell you something. If something ever happens to my daughter or my grandkids because you don't have the ability to protect yourself, I said, I personally will come over and kill you. Now, he, yeah, he, 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 he didn't applaud. Uh, <laughs> by the way, just so you know where we're coming from, New Hampshire is the safest state in the United States, just so you know, okay? Now, in hindsight, just looking back at, our, at my life, I'm going to tell you the most exciting part of my life was that from 30 years of age to 33 years of age when we were making a run for freedom. I suspect if you ask Sir Edmund, you know who, all know who Sir Edmund Hillary is? He's the guy that climbed Mount Everest the first time. I'll bet you if you asked him, okay, when he was 85 years of old, age, Sir Edmund Hillary, what was the best time of your life? He wouldn't have said, oh, after I gained fame and was traveling around the world speaking and making all kinds of money, he would have said, the New Zealander would have said, you know what? The best time of my life was paying the price to get to the top of that mountain when we thought we were going to die. Now, I probably wouldn't choose to redo those years, but I look back at them, you know what? Those years were the years where God showed up in our lives. Those are the years where Debbie and I found, forged a forever marriage. Those were the years where that toughened us up. Somebody, okay, Denise Cox actually sent me this the other day. Her daughter had listened to me speak years ago, and I made, I don't know if I made, this was my quote or whatnot, but I loved it. I'd forgotten all about it. We'd learned, toughened up. He said, lions don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. I, I, I like it, okay. And I claimed it one time, I'll claim it again. All right. Those years were where we developed discipline. It's where we finally learned, where I finally learned, okay, that the only way to succeed big was by helping other people become big. And in a way, isn't that be, saying... Humility, maybe, realizing you can't do it by yourself. Now, all the things I've been talking about, the eyes and we's, okay, when I talk eyes, we's, and whatnot, I want you to transpose those into your story. These are hi highlights of an obnoxious life that, that really excited us. I want you to have an obnoxious, it doesn't have to be obnoxious, you could actually be a nice person, okay? How many of you have read or watched the book, 
Okay, lonesome dove, raise your hand. Lonesome dove, if you haven't, please, I ask you to read it. It's one of the greatest books. It's a, it's, it's a Western, okay? It was uh, George Herbert Walker's Bush, uh, Bush's favorite book of all time. It's a huge bestseller, and there, there was actually, what do you call it, a series, mini series on it, okay? One of the most popular books ever, and I guarantee it's the most entertaining you'll ever read. The, the scene is this. There, there's, there's these two retired uh, Texas Rangers. One is Augustus, Augustus McRae. Another one is Captain Woodrow Hall. They've retired to a little town called Lonesome Dove on, on, on the Rio Grande. And uh, they have a, a make-believe farm called the Hat Creek Cattle Company. And they're totally comfortable. They're just sort of riding. They've got all the booze they want, okay, and... And Augustus McCray has a beautiful woman down the street and all that, okay. And they're just waiting life out. And then all of a sudden comes from their past, okay, in comes a guy named Jake Spoon. He was a younger guy, still an active uh, Texas Ranger, but he had killed somebody by accident in Missouri or someplace. He comes riding into town and he agitates them. And he gets them thinking about how great life was when they were living a great adventure. The next thing, Jake Spoon okay, has convinced him that what they've got to do is go up to this place that's not even settled yet called Montana, and they're going to drive cattle up there and create a ranch. One of the greatest stories ever told is them, the trials and tribulations of them putting together the herd and going from South Texas, okay, to Montana and getting that set up, okay. It's time we all come alive, guys. I've got another quote that I, I think says where many of us are. Marcus Aurelius instructs us this way. He says, quote, think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. I got a story I like to tell. I, get, I still get a little emotional when I tell this story. In crossing uh, one of our motorcycle trips, we crossed Canada we went up to Victoria Island, okay, and you know, on the west coast of Canada. And on Victoria Island, we saw this statue. And there's a statue, a full-size guy with no leg and a metal leg here, okay, a guy named Terry Fox. And all it said, and I, I have no idea who Terry Fox was, but all it said on the, on, the, on the plaque, it said, somewhere the herding must stop. So we finally learned the story. How many people have heard Rod Stewart's uh, uh, Never Give Up on a Dream song? That was written by Terry Fox's best friend, all right, about Terry Fox. Terry Fox had cancer, okay, and he decided to run the Marathon of Hope. He was going to run from the most beautiful little town in North America, St. John's, Newfoundland, and he's going to run from there to the Pacific Coast, okay, to raise money for cancer and whatnot. For 143 days, he ran a marathon every day. And so 3,339 miles later, okay, the cancer that he had moved into his lungs. And in Thunder Bay, okay, which is on the north shore of Lake Superior, he died. We were coming through from the other way. And there's a huge statue there, up high, looking down over Lake Superior. And on it, it describes the pain he was in before he died. 
We left there, after, it was cold, miserable cold, cold and rainy on motorcycles. And we're leaving there, going across the, what do they call that, Trans-Canadian Highway. And so we're across, you know, the northern shore of the Lake Superior. And we're going along, and I'm thinking, I'm leading the pack, if you will, and I'm thinking, what the hell was he thinking? Why, why, why would somebody suffer the pain that he went through and then die? I mean, suffer pain right up to the de moment of death is what he did. And then all of a sudden we're in a town, I, I couldn't find it on the map to, for this talk, but it was called White Creek or White Fish or something, it was a handful of little buildings. And I'm going along, again, rain and cold, I looked over at the cemetery, and here are these crosses, wooden frickin' crosses, wooden. And half the crosses had already rotted, had fallen off. And it hit me, here's Terry Fox, statue at Victoria Island. They had renamed the Trans-Canadian Highway, the Highway of Courage, I think it was, after him. They wrote a song about him, and he raised, I don't know how many gazillions of dollars for cancer research, and I'm telling a story on stage today. For what? For living the last little bit of his life properly. He not only lived life properly, he finished strong. You guys, you have everything you need, okay? You really do. You have everything you need to succeed. You've got the vehicle, okay? You've got that card I gave you. I want you to take that card out right now and take on the plain side, not the, not the side that has lines on it, and I'd want you to just draw a big circle, okay? And in that circle, I want you to write the word to it, T-U-I-T. Okay? And what I want you to do with that card, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Tonight, I want you and your partner, okay, or your significant other, your wife, okay, <clears throat> to decide what it would be that would bring you to a life, that would make life so darn God exciting and it would scare you. No, by the way, not necessarily having anything to do with this business. I'm, we're not here to sell you on this business. It could be something totally, totally different, all right? But I want you to write that or those things on that card. A little later, there's going to be fireworks. At 10 o'clock, I think, right, John? At 10 o'clock, there's going to be fireworks over the falls, okay? And I want you to take that card to the fireworks, okay? Then, or some other place. I'll give you some options here. Take him over the fireworks, then with the fireworks, okay, in the background, next to what? One of the top eight wonders of the world, Niagara Falls, okay? Or tomorrow on the walk, maybe take that card over to, what is it, Terrapin Point? Ter We're going to walk to Terrapin Point, which is the other end of Goat Island. You're going to walk over there, and all of a sudden, here's Terrapin Point right here, and there's going to be the Canadian Falls. Maybe you go over there with that card. Or maybe you just go to the room tonight. Or maybe you do it on the way home as you drive home tonight. But commit to all that's holy that you're really going to do that this time. Do it tonight. What I did back in whatever year it was when I was 29 years of age. A quality decision. One time made is all you ever have to make. 
I pray that, folks, I really do. I pray this weekend is your Jake Spoon encounter. That you get, you remember that the miracle that you are, that there's no chance that you're here, but you are. And take that part of life that you got left and live it properly. God bless you. This audio series was created to help you with personal development, professional development, and gaining the skills to build a sustainable business. While certainly no one can guarantee success, it is our hope that the principles and ideas discussed here will enable you to experience the thrill of accomplishment and offer your life greater significance and enjoyment. This is a copyrighted program. The purchase of the program is optional, and any unauthorized reproduction or broadcast of this digital media without express written consent is strictly prohibited. All rights are reserved.